Welcome, everybody, to The Business Podcast, where we pour out weekly business lessons from entrepreneurs, business owners from around the world. I'm your host, Super Joe Pardo, and my guest today is making her dreams come true by not letting fear hold her back. I can definitely get behind that as fear creeps into everything that we do. It's part of survival. It's part of uh, why we make decisions and 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 policies and and everything in life revolves around uh, fear or lack thereof fear. Ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are right now, I need you to give a big warm welcome to our guest, Julie Broad. Woo! <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be on your show. You are so welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time tonight, Julie. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. I can't wait. Let's get into it. <laughs> All right. So why don't you get started by giving some background about yourself? All right. This is always hard because it's like, where do you start? What do you cover? Um, but, uh, I'm originally a Canadian. I live in Los Angeles. I'm still a Canadian, but uh, I live in Los Angeles, California now. And so kind of how I ended up here, I started in a, as a real estate investor. That's really where my background is. Uh, I started investing in real estate really kind of to create that backup plan. And eventually it became the full-time plan. And uh, through that crazy wild journey, uh, we invested in some properties that one of them became a known crack house, not ideal. And we had a property manager that got charged with manslaughter because he pudged a tenant. The tenant fell, hit the ground and later died. Uh, so not so good. But all these stories, which weren't very fun to live through, became great stories for lessons to help other people to learn, because a lot of our mistakes were very preventable. And so I got to this point where a lot of people were coming to me for advice. And I was writing just a newsletter for friends and family to kind of share our, you know, the things that had gone wrong, the things that had gone right. And I eventually turned it into a book and I self-published it and I put it on Amazon and got some uh, colleagues in the real estate space to support it. And it went to number one overall on Amazon. So it was ahead of Dan Brown and the Game of Thrones series at the time, because this was in 2013. And, uh, and yeah, it was pretty, pretty spectacular because I actually had a conversation with we went back and forth with Wiley for quite a while as on a publishing deal. And in the end, they said, oh, no, we don't think you have a strong enough marketing platform to sell books. So this was pretty awesome because I, I outsold any of their niche real estate books as a self-published author. Uh, but through that, uh, a lot of people started asking me for help, not about real estate anymore, but about how to publish a book. And so little bit by bit, I got into uh, really helping other people, people with traditionally published deals, but also uh, people who wanted to self-publish and just helping them with all aspects of that of that process. And so when I was looking for something to do besides real estate, uh, I decided to create the company that I wished I could have hired uh, for my self-published books. And uh, that's what ultimately led to book launchers. Uh, living in L.A. is a different story, but <laughs> <laughs> but that's what led to creating book launchers, which is what I do now, helping entrepreneurs and, and professionals write, publish and uh, promote their books. No, that, that is awesome. So first of all, I got to ask. Um, so you weren't doing any background checks, I guess, at the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, crazy we were, but um, the crack house was a, a long story. We took these get rich quick courses. Uh, you still hear them on the radio, right? I still yes. heard one today. Yep. Um, so we took one of those courses and learned how to invest in real estate with no money down, which was great because we didn't have money and no bank financing, which was also great because I was in university do my, doing my MBA at the time. So I didn't have a job. Um, so that was kind of, and I say we, because uh, I, I, 
I convinced my boyfriend at the time to partner with me. Um, thankfully, we eventually got married because it would have been really messy um, trying to figure out you know, who got what property because we bought, I don't even know, before we were married, I think we probably bought over 20 properties together. Um, so yeah, we did do background checks, but we bought problem properties because, uh, you know, those deals that you can do for no money down, they're nobody down because people want to offload their problems. And <laughs> so we were those suckers <laughs> that got their problems. <laughs> And that includes their problem tenants. And, and then there's nobody who wants to manage them except for, you know, rough around the edges property managers, which, you know, is what we got. So, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, then I could I could see why, you know, look, experience comes from making mistakes. Right. And from making mistakes, that's how you get the experience to tell other people how to how to make, not make those mistakes. I'm grateful. I know people laugh. They're like, you're grateful you had a crack house? Well, actually, I am because my book never would have existed. And it certainly, even if it did exist, it never would have done so well, which has led to like so many amazing things in my life. And uh, none of that would have happened without those early tough days. So I am actually really (laughs) grateful for every one of those horror stories. Yeah, absolutely. It's those stories that you give you something to write about. With that said, what were you were you ever thinking about writing a book before that? I think always I was. I, as a kid, I really liked to write. Uh, and I, I probably would have been a writer if somebody hadn't told me writers make no money. You know, this was like one of those things as a kid, you know, money doesn't grow on t- trees and writers don't make money. So I went to business school, you know, what, what every creative driven person should do, go to business school and have that creative smacked right out of you. <laughs> But, uh, you know, and then the other problem was I hit grade 10 and I thought I was a good writer because up until grade 10, I'd won some essay contests. I'd I'd been public. I had short stories published in some national um, newspapers and things like that. So I actually thought I was pretty good. And then I hit grade 10 and my English teacher was so hard on me and made me feel like I was a terrible writer. And so, you know, kind of the combination, I decided not to write. Um, And it wasn't until I was sharing these lessons and these stories with friends and family just to help them that I kind of really got back into writing for the love of writing. And and so once I got into that, then, yes, I started thinking about writing a book. But, um, yeah, it's always those things. People say, what did you love to do as a kid? And, uh, you know, I love to write as a kid. But, you know, bit by bit, a lot of us end up veering away from that for a variety of reasons. But I've thankfully gotten back there. Now, before we get into to book launchers, um, I think it's really important for people to understand that uh, the the I, I would call it the long term game with having outside publishers um, publish your book because it can be you know a couple years uh, of a process to get a book published. Um, you know, a lot, and, and in my experience, and maybe you can back me up on this or give more information on it, is that most publishers are not interested in you unless you can sell your book. (laughs) That's exactly it. And then the kicker of it is they're going to keep like 80%, if not more of the money made and you still have to do all the work. So all they do is upfront the cost up front, you know, that you would spend on editing and cover design and and layout. They upfront that cost, but then they keep 80%. And so every day that you're out there slogging your book, and it is, you know, there's days where it really does feel like a slog to get the word out about your book, to get people to review it on Amazon, all these really important pieces. But at the end of the day, the publisher's going, thank you. (laughs) And you're really not benefiting as much as you think you will um, in a variety of ways because also the traditional publisher owns the controls the content and owns it 
And so you're actually limited with what you can do with that content. And sometimes a lot of, I've had many friends who've had book deals that have said, you know, I didn't like the cover, you know, I didn't like the angle they forced me into with this book. It's not really what I believe. So they weren't actually happy with a lot of the things. So there's so many reasons why I think uh, it's better to self-publish nowadays, especially in nonfiction. You know, so so the so the point uh, my question would be is if you're not happy with the way that they uh, presented your book, right, the cover or whatever, um, did it did it not sell well for them at that point to make like to like hey I hate the cover but like apparently the market loves it and I sold a uh, you know a boat ton of them. Yeah, it's hard to say because I, I, the friends, the, the two friends that I know that weren't happy with the cover, I think the one, th their book did okay, but I actually think their original idea and their original angle probably would have sold better. But the publisher pushed them into it. Uh, and, and I think the publisher was probably wrong in that choice. The other person, their book sold really, really well. But the book cover, knowing this person, I know the book cover was not a reflection of them. And that's the thing, like the cover, you kind of want the cover to fit with you and your brand. And the publisher doesn't care about that. So for some people, it doesn't matter if it sells well, because if you're holding up your book and you're not feeling proud of it, uh, you know, there's a disconnect between between you and your work. And that's that can be hard for some people to take. I would totally agree. I mean, um, and we were talking before before the recording here um, about my my books and you, you you were commenting on them because, I mean, that's part of what you do. Right. Um, and, and how much you like the, the current cover and, and, and like like the old other covers of the of the first three books I did, the um, the self-development books. But, you know, obviously they are much different market, different, um, every, different everything. Um, and I, I think it's really, especially in my case, it's being, you know, creative and, and trying to, to not just be like, Oh, let me just hire a designer and just put it, you know, put something together for me because I'm not going to come up with what an idea for myself, um, versus like, I'm going to, to, to make this book and, and the inside out and out to the outside of it is going to, to be a reflection of me. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the, while the first three covers are vastly different than like, especially my fourth book, but a lot of other people's covers, I think it's important. Um, I think it was important for me to get it out there like that. That's great. Yeah. And I think that I think like, I mean, when we work with our authors, I'm always trying to go, I almost say it's 40% you and 60% what's going to look good in a thumbnail. <laughs> those are the, two more, the two most important things to me is and it's and I do put the emphasis on that thumbnail because that's ultimately really what's going to get it out there. But I do really think it should be a reflection of you and your brand and the message that you're trying to communicate out there. Um, and that's, I think I think that's also why I really like the cover that you have for the newest book, because if think it really is a good reflection of the message and and now having chatted with you too i can see it being a good reflection of you um so yeah i think i think it's a great match and i do think it'll stand out as a thumbnail too so that's great well thank you i mean originally i wanted to so my my original plan now you can't see this in in the pot in podcast world but um you know my original plan was actually to have this spray painted across and every time i we did it with the different artists and different different ways it always came out looking like blood and i'm like i don't want it to, it's not a murder mystery right like I, I i'm trying to say like i'm trying to like punch it in the face and like here's you know spray paint it so i even tried like a bright green but then i'm like eh, i really didn't like the green it just 
didn't feel right and it, it it was it was tough to really settle on how and then how to get it so like the the goal was like sales will and then i was going to spray paint not across it but every time i did that it it, it hid too much of the will it hid too much of the save and it, it it made it really tough to read what was what it said yeah, so, well, I think I like what you've got there because it's like a stamp, right? It was just yep. kind of like it, it like hits you, right? The stamp you get stamped, and that's what it looks like. Yeah, and it totally does not make sense because if you actually look at it really, really close, you can actually see that there's a shadow underneath the stamp, which would not oh, be yeah. a, the case in like real life. Yeah, but the shadow helps cover up the will save, and the will save is only important after you've looked at it and read what the cover said. That's I mean yeah. that's the most important part, right? is that they can actually read what it says and and I think that when you're when you're trying to figure out what your cover should look like and and how because I mean when I was designing the cover too um just to go into that like I th- originally it said focus on the top up top. Now that was before I had Lee Cockrell sign on as as uh, to write the foreword for me, but um but then I realized, well, okay, that's that's fine. I can put the focus on the top on the back and his name's got to go at the top cuz Yep. Yep. This is this is what's going to help validate and sell this book, um, even more so than my stone with a stamp on, <laughs> stone with a stamp on it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Oh, and can we t- can you show me the back cover? I just want to see if you. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah we, very good. So yeah, the that's pro, good. The professional thing. It says focus right at the top. Uh, focus on the top yep. at the top. Team offer yep. process, and it's got pinpoints because this book doesn't actually have chapters. This book has oh. pins because it's a roadmap. Now, with that said, I I kind of wish. That I that kind of came up towards the end of the v- development of the book, and had I know like had I seen where that was heading, I probably would have maybe did something a little bit different with the cover, um, to to kind of pinpoint that like, hey, this is a roadmap for you. Um, but you can actually see the pins, uh, there yeah, down the side, yeah. and and when you look through the pages, uh, like here's an example, pin twenty two. It doesn't say okay. chapter twenty two. So, yeah. um, but it explains it in the, in the book. And, and because I, some of my chapters are really small. I mean, I write books for people who don't like to read books. That's, that's <laughs> my whole thing. So like my first books, my first two books are lots of pictures that I drew. I'm not an artist, but I play one in books and, and even the, and, and, and my editor fought me on this. So I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Um, see how big my text is yeah, and the spacing. The reason that the the book is spaced and text and and the font is that big isn't because I wanted to fluff it out. I mean, my first book was only a hundred pages, but the big thing that I got back, the feedback I got was, I love how big the text is because I can actually read it, <laughs> and especially <laughs> well, just- with the audience of being like in that thirty to sixty year old range, it's not like I'm trying to sell books to kids. Well, I think audiobooks is probably your market, which I saw you did for your previous book. So, and, and this so, is in yeah. the works by the same yeah. guy who did the the uh, thirty one life changing concepts book. Yeah, good. So, yeah, I mean, I think I like that layout. It's easy to scan. I wouldn't do one of my books that way, but that doesn't mean it's not a good fit for you because everybody, I think every book should have its own identity as as an interior layout. I think the worst thing you can do is template it and have it look like a, you know, (laughs) a templated book because it doesn't have that experience. And I think reading a book is an experience. So I like that you've created a unique experience for your book. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I I think I think that's really important. And, you know, I, I mean, one of the things like I showed it to somebody today for the first time and they were like, oh, good. The, the big text is back. And 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 this this uh, girl's like 22, 20, yeah. 21. 
something like that 20 i don't know something like that so so it's like there's you know people have that response to that bigger text instead of that real fine print that's Mm -hmm. really small and then of course there's lots of spaces to write in the book um because there's questions there's like three questions at the end of each pin um the way it's designed but anyway enough about me promoting my book (laughs) i I really um i really want to know more and i might have more questions (laughs) later on for that but i really want to know more about book launchers and how how did that get started for you yeah i mean it was really it was kind of two things that came together at once and the first the first big thing was it was almost like that that you know like that little kid that's tugging at your your jacket and you're ignoring you're ignoring the kid like no not now not now and that's almost what it was for me with book publishing like everybody was constantly asking me questions and and asking for help and on the side I was helping a lot of people and I so much so that I actually filmed a bunch of uh, videos in 2013 and 2014 uh, on on book publishing not because it had anything to do with what I was doing I was a real estate investor running a real estate investing company and a real estate training company. So, you know, I had zero to do with book publishing, but I just wanted, you know, all these people that wanted help. I was like, okay, here, I'm just going to film videos and then you can go watch my videos to answer all your questions. But so that's like the little kid tugging at your coattails going like, hey, this is what you should be doing. And and I liked it. I really, really liked it. So that was the one part. The other part was after years of coaching people and doing training, I I really wanted to have a service business where I went here, let me do it for you. Because so many people just would never do the things they had to do. And I just kept thinking, I just need to do this for you. I just need to have the people that can do this for you, that they're they're the best at what they do and they can do it for you. And so the combination of wanting to leave coaching and really create a business where people were served by the best possible people for what they wanted, plus this fact that I really did, I've always loved writing. I've always liked books and, and I've always, and for years I've been asked questions and been helping people in this space so yeah I I finally woke up merged the two and have the most fun business I've had in all my years (laughs) (laughs) so okay so what were some of the first steps you you took um to get started once you decided I'm gonna I'm gonna merge this into a service-based business because um clearly people aren't necessarily getting the results they're they're expecting or wanting or should be getting um because they're they maybe they're not putting in all the work or or i'm not having full control over the the you know every step of the process yeah i mean i mean the first like business wise the first step i had to do was very unusual most most of your listeners would not face this but being in canada moving to the states i had to get a visa um so Step one was a whole bunch of things involved with getting the visa, um, one of which was actually creating a business plan, um, which isn't, you know, an unusual step necessarily. Um, but I did have to do a lot of extra stuff for that business plan because it's it was basically like a pitch. You know, I, I'm pitching to the U.S. government that I'm going to have a business that will provide work and provide money to the economy. <laughs> Based around books. Exactly. <laughs> so that <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Although it's not dying. That's that's the you know, it's very stable uh, and audiobooks are blowing up. So and you need a book before you can create an audiobook. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, I was talking about in the traditional sense of like you know, I mean, I don't know how much longer Barnes and Noble will even be carrying books. I mean, they carry mostly games and board games and like pop figures and things of that nature at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think bookstores. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that because the bookstore chapters Indigo in Canada is thriving, and I think they've even announced they're moving into the states. But oh, you're wow. right; like only 49% of what they sell is books. Um, they're doing really well because they're doing well in the gift, like kind of that niche gift and specialty market. And they've they've created an experience again, the experience around shopping and reading and all of that kind of stuff. They've really made it a place to go. Uh, and so I don't know; it'll be interesting to see how they do in the states. But Barnes and Noble d- can't seem to get themselves organized around a strategy. So yeah, I think in a lot of cases they're dying, but Amazon has bookstores popping up and they're doing okay with those bookstores. So, you know, I think it's all in your strategy around, you know, books, but yeah, books, I don't think books are going anywhere. How we read them, like I said, audiobooks are blowing up right now. Uh, how we read them will change and, and the size of books, perhaps the type of books, of course, but uh, I don't think books are going anywhere. So yeah, I created a business around books. Uh, and so I had to create, you know, a lot of it was actually building the team and doing things backwards from how I would normally do it, which is I had to spend a bunch of money up front to get the business started. So the government would let me come down into the States and then open the doors. Uh, but it was good in some ways, because I did have to do a lot of research and make sure that the people I would be able to hire on the team were going to be great. And I, that's where I was blown away by Los Angeles is, you know, I have, I have two Emmy nominated people on my team. I have people who've won Leo's and uh, like lots of different awards. And, you know, that's the beauty of Los Angeles. It's a hub for creatives. And when you offer them full-time work, they're like, Oh, I'm not freelance anymore. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 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 I love that. And um, so what what brought you down to America then? <laughs> My husband got into acting. So, you know, it's kind of one of those long stories. But, you know, we were sitting there is not midlife, but 40s. You know, he turned 40 and he's kind of looking around going, I'm kind of bored. Like I can do more real estate deals, but what for? And so I asked him, I said, well, what would you do if money was not a factor? Right. Because when I first said, what do you want to do? And he started listing all these things he could do to generate income. And I said, oh, forget about money. Like, what would you do if money did not matter? And he said, well, I'd be in a rock band or I would be an actor. And I said, well, I've heard you sing. <laughs> and he didn't know how to play any instruments. So it seemed like a long road. And I said, so maybe. <laughs> and so he took some acting classes and started to like it. And the challenge with um, Canadians is that there's only so many parts that you can audition for. Uh, all the good stuff auditions out of Los Angeles and then they fly you up because Vancouver is a hub. Like it's like the second L.A. in terms of filming there. You know, they call it. Hollywood North. Um, So Vancouver actually has tons of stuff filming there, but all the good parts get auditioned out of LA and then they fly you to Vancouver to film. Uh, Oh, wow. I I did not, I did not know that. Yeah. So after five years of, you know, getting bit parts and auditioning for two lines here and two lines there, uh, I kind of said, well, look, like, let's just go for it. Right. You know, why dabble? You don't, you, you don't, you don't have 80 years to build a career as an actor. So let's just go for it and go to LA and see what happens. How's that been working out for him? Uh, well, it, it took him. A, he, so we had a baby. So uh, like all kinds of crazy things happen, right? We just as we decided to move, I got pregnant, and then so of course as the timing would would go, we got the visa four weeks after we had our baby. <laughs> <laughs> so within three months, we moved to the states, had a baby, and I launched Book Launchers. So uh, yeah, it was a crazy ride, and he had his hands full just kind of managing the household while I got Book Launchers up and running. So all that's to say that he's only just starting to get auditions and he's booked a couple little commercial shoots and things like that but uh took him a while to get himself established down here because we had lots going on (laughs) (laughs) no no i love it um so how how did your family take it when you were like i'm I'm 
well, first off, I guess getting into business for yourself at all, you know, selling or uh, buying and selling crack houses. <laughs> well, uh, thankfully, both my husband and I come from entrepreneurial families. My family, I grew up in a motel on the side that was on the side of the highway uh, because my parents owned and ran this tw- owned and ran this 20 room motel. So, you know, as as soon as I was old enough to see over the counter, I was checking guests into the motel, which was always funny because they'd come in and they go, are your parents here? And I go, no, I can help you. You know, I'd be like, I can help. You know, do you want a room? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I grew up in a very you know, a very entrepreneurial family. And my parents had commercial property too. So it wasn't really a big stretch when we went this way. Uh, and same for, for my husband, his family, uh, his father's a commercial fisherman and his mom was a realtor once upon a time. Um, so yeah, it wasn't that shocking. Although it's funny when you come from entrepreneurial families, their, their first reaction was, you know, it might not be a bad idea to have a job. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, moving to America, especially moving to L.A., is an expensive, uh, you know, proposition. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, doing it right after you have, you know, a grandchild for the family, that didn't go over very well. But you know what? It's cold in Canada, so it's been a welcome relief for my parents anyways to come down and visit us (laughs) frequently. (laughs) They've they've seen us almost every six weeks because, uh, yeah, it's substantially nicer (laughs) in California. (laughs) I I know I know I've been out there in the winter time. <laughs> though, though, though with that said, today it was uh, seventy five degrees here outside of Philadelphia. So <laughs> in February uh, when this is being recorded. So, um, Julie, what's your hobby outside of running book launchers? Oh my goodness! Well. Um, I used to before I had a baby. <laughs> I played a lot of poker, uh, so that was really one of my big hobbies was playing poker. Um, but I, I haven't actually done. I haven't played poker since I was six months pregnant. So I got. I'm actually in my first poker tournament on Saturday, which is just a charity tournament. So I'm looking forward to getting back into that. And uh, and CrossFit. CrossFit's a. And I'm back into that now. So um, CrossFit's always been for like six years has been something that I I love to do and I love the community and I always get quite quite involved, not just in the workouts, but in, in all the people and, and other social stuff that comes around with it. Oh, that that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, do you find that it's a, uh, it's a, a good meditation for you? Like I find, I mean, I haven't gotten to run very often lately, but um, for me, running is, is like a meditation for, for my business um, and life because I'm able to, to, to escape and, and even like, like mentally escape. Um, to 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 like free my mind of like everything that's around it to see like oh man what if i did this and this and this and i put this piece together with that piece and see how that goes yeah i mean running is running i do a lot of great thinking when i run um so i like running for that because i can kind of clear my head and think i like crossfit because i can't think i can barely breathe right like it's you know (laughs) and again because it's that community feel like I, i mean today is a great example i've i've been kind of taking some hits we've had a rough week in terms of some of the things that have gone on in the business as as you know happens in the entrepreneurial world you ride that roller coaster down so i i've taken some hits this week and so I was pretty down this morning and almost didn't even want to go, but I made myself go. And by the end of the workout, the combination of the adrenaline and the camaraderie, I was feeling pretty awesome. Like it was like, okay, great. I can take on another day. And so I like it for that reason. Cause it just, it's like almost like it picks the shrapnel out of your skin so you can go in and fight another battle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> um, so, 
Julie, what's been the biggest roadblock for you over the years with your business? Uh, just one. <laughs> just one. Oh, wow. No, I'm, I'm asking. Like, oh, just, just one. one. Oh, just a question. Sorry. I was reading it as a... Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I was I was making a joke. Yeah, I like, mean, there's there's been just many. One. <laughs> there's been many. I mean, coming into the states, there were so many roadblocks to getting here, and uh, and we even thought that we had our visa. We had to fly all the way from Vancouver to Toronto, and then they rejected my visa, saying, "Hey, you haven't spent enough money yet." But they wouldn't tell me how many, how much more money to spend. They, you know, anyway. So there's been many, many roadblocks. But I think ultimately the biggest roadblock has come back to myself and the, you know, for years, and it's still there, but it's less, um, was I wanted to please other people. And so I did a lot of things uh, just to be liked, really, like, that's ultimately what the goal of so many things I did, uh, which led to me being not very happy with where I was at. And so I think that's really been the biggest roadblock to me creating the life that I really wanted to live and kind of doing the things I want to do. Um, that's ultimately the, the biggest, the biggest one. And like I said, it's still there. It's probably always going to be there. You know, it's like you get up on stage and you're about to speak and you think, oh, I hope they like me, you know, even though I'm there to serve them, right? I'm, you know, I'm there to to help them, to teach them something, to add value. But I still have this little thing like, oh, I hope they like me. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think, I mean, that's a, obviously a common thing, but, I, and I, you know, I face the same thing as wanting to be a people pleaser all the time and trying to do everything I possibly can to um, explain myself and, and, and create win-win situations and make things as fair as possible. Uh, but, uh, you know, when, when you're, when you're there, like I, I was, so I was talking to my wife, and for anyone listening that that's watched me speak or or, or or has watched any of my videos, like I I told her like I was like you know I, I get nervous like before I go out and speak, um, and she's like really like that doesn't seem like a thing that you would do like you like I, she doesn't perceive me to to I guess be uh, nervous about that kind of stuff. But I I explained to her I'm like no like I you know ultimately like I'm really an introverted person for the most part. Um, I really had to push myself to do that, but, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it comes down to the, the least common denominator of like the most, uh, tainted person, not tainted person, the most, um, cynical person in the crowd. Right. And that's like the picture that I, or that's the, the, the paintbrush that I paint the whole crowd with. Like there's going <laughs> to be somebody that's sitting there with their, their arms folded and they're gonna be like, man, this guy don't know anything about what he's talking about. And he, he's full of crap. <laughs> and, and that's what I that's like and that that's the paintbrush I'm painting the entire crowd with is like a whole bunch of people just sitting there like I'm wasting their time. <laughs> that's like a one star book review, right? Like, like I've, I had my first book had two one star book reviews out of, I don't know, 70 or 80 five star book re or overall reviews where most of them were five stars. But you kind of like that. Like, I never forget what that one star book review says, but I don't remember what the good ones say. It's weird how we are wired to kind of I, I get it. Basically, I don't have the magic bullet or the solution, although I've learned to focus on that one person that I know I can really impact and help. And that helps helps tremendously to focus on that person instead of the cynical one-star jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I got, I, I think uh, the first one-star review I ever got was on my third book, um, the, the I self empower. And this book is, is radically like, I don't know how deeply you checked out these books, but, but this book is radically different from any other book out there. So, so this is what the pages look like. 
Oh, okay. No, no I never, see. I didn't, I saw it on, yeah, I see it. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's really different. Wow. This is so, so for anyone who doesn't know, I self empower is 160. I think it's like 162 or something like that. Um, self affirmations. And it's done in the art style of repetition artwork. So the idea was I, I, I was, I was about to fall asleep and I had this dream about repetition art, you know, like, uh, like the pictures of like Marilyn Monroe, but it's like six pictures of her and they're all in different colors. Right. And I was mm-hmm. like, what if I did that with words? Hmm. So I was like, I, w- so I woke up 20 minutes into sleeping and I started writing down self self affirmations. Um, cause I don't think self affirmations, like I don't, I don't get into like the woo woo-ness of it, but I, I love music. Right. And, and what is music? The lyrics that go into music, whether it's rap or, or, or rock or whatever it is you're listening to is, is a whole bunch of emotions, feelings, and basically self affirmations, right. Of how, what you make of it. So I'm like, I, I was like, let me make this book. And then what I did was I took a paintbrush, like I used my mouse, like a paintbrush and, um, and, oh, cool. and painted mm-hmm in the inverse colors uh characters into each page so that's an s there and i wrote secret messages into there's a t Um, (laughs) i wrote secret messages into the book Um, what's that an m is that an m i think it's an m pretty sure it's an m i don't yeah i have it written down somewhere like in my evernote what 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 it says like here's a i think this is a d um yeah but there's and there's a Y over here. So so yeah. So so I sent this off to a friend of mine who is super positive. And I was like, "What do you think of this?" And I sent it to a couple of people. And like one of my friends was like, nah, "I don't get it. I don't I don't I don't think that's really that interesting or or whatever. I, I don't understand it." And um, one of my friends actually wrote like the basically the foreword <laughs> for the book by writing all way, uh, like ten different ways to use this book. Cause she oh, cool! It was just amazing. Shout out to Daniel Watson. Um, and so I got a really negative review because somebody was like, oh, I'm super disappointed in what, you know, I, I really love his first two books and this book just, it didn't do it for me. Um, so I was like, oh, well, I, I know. Like, I knew that going into it, right? Like, I did yeah. the book in 10 days. Yeah, wow. Like, yeah. So, it, like, this book was, I had a dream. 10 days later, I had a book. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So cuz I mean, obviously I was able to write the tra- the 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 self affirmations really quick. I did like 160 yeah. of them and I and I laid them out and then I painted the the in the book. So it's it's different, but it wasn't meant to be like it was it, that was a road bump on the way to this book. The the, yeah, the yeah. sales won't save your business. Like I was working on this book, had that dream, and was like I got to do that book first. And it wasn't all that well received, and that's okay cuz it's it's it, it's different. And and that's what I try to, uh, you know, accomplish um, to go back to the negative, you know, the negative. And but, you know, one other thing I would say, um, uh, one of the feedbacks I've gotten with my podcast conference, I run the Middle Line podcast conference, is when I ask for feedback for them uh, from my guests, I uh I actually want to know who said the feedback. I don't want them to just like blindly write negative feedback. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to know who has said it so I can go back and I've actually gone back to those people and we've had conversations about it and about how I can go about fixing things or, or, or adjusting things. Cause having the negative feedback isn't always enough. 
right? Yeah. Like I need, I need more. I need more detail. I need more depth. I need more. What could we do to solve that problem? And then sometimes those people come back. Some people, sometimes they don't come back. But I've learned, you, you know, you learn so much because that's where you grow, right? At the edge of your comfort comfort level. And and to bring it all back to speaking, um, don't paint with a big brush of negativity, <laughs> negativity uh, unless you're doing it to to grow after the fact. <laughs> but that might keep you from getting on the stage so maybe not you know you can look at it afterwards and evaluate oh but yeah I think oh yeah after yeah, that's what i said yeah okay <laughs> don't, think, don't, don't think about that cynical person as being your audience before you get on stage or you won't go on stage well yeah think about the people that that really um that really are that you're you know are there to see you or see to learn something um you know one of the things like you know you can see the, the turntables behind me like one of the things i loved doing uh when i was djing was like i would find the one person usually it was a female who was dancing and really enjoying it right and mm-hmm. then you're just like you just focus on that person that that's getting it and and understands it and is enjoying it and and hopefully everybody else will continue to follow, but like you find that one person who really gets it and then just go really as hard as you can for that one person. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It makes all the difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, so Julie, um, you said you grew up in a, in a motel, which was kind of, uh, surprising at first, but, uh, what was your childhood dream growing up while you were at that motel? Uh, well, I think I, I did. I initially wanted to be a writer. Uh, you know, I think I thought fiction at the time, but I did. I, as I said, I wanted to be a writer until people told me they didn't make money. And then my English high school teacher, you know, squashed that dream because I thought I was a terrible writer. <laughs> so I think that's really what I wanted to do. But ultimately, I also the other thing was I always was thinking about businesses and business ideas and things like that. So I think ultimately I dreamed of being a business owner. Um in whatever capacity. I didn't have any dreams specifically beyond that. Um, I lived in a tiny town. So my exposure to what the world was, was very limited. I was in a a town of a thousand people in the middle of rural Alberta. So, you know, it was very much a farm town. Uh, You know, my parents were one of a few that didn't make their living off off of farming. So it was a very different kind of upbringing. And I wasn't exposed to a lot. Like we would occasionally go to the city for dentist appointments and, and uh, things like that. But, you know, I didn't have, there was no movie theater. There was no McDonald's. Like, those things were only things that we got when we went to the city. Wow. Wow. You know, that reminds me of the story. Um, you're, you're, you're telling me the story of, of, of your teacher mm-hmm. um, discouraging you, saying that you, you are not good at writing and all that. Um, Do you ever hear about Steve Harvey's teacher? No. Okay. So Steve Harvey's teacher, um, cause he was like, I think it was like fourth grade His fourth grade teacher or third grade teacher was like, Oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. You know, draw it on a piece or write it on a piece of paper or draw it on a piece of paper. And he was like, I want to be on TV. And the teacher, <laughs> the teacher actually like wrote him up for it and sent him home. And his dad like came in to the room and he's like crying and all. And he's like, well, what do you, what do you want to be? And he's like, oh, I want to be on TV. And he's like, well, what does your teacher want you to write? He's like sports player that, you know, uh, policeman or something like that. He's like, okay, well write that on the paper. So you, so you can get out of this. And, uh, 
and write it write write you know draw it on your on your own paper and 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 hang it up and and look at it so it's funny because after he uh eventually got himself on tv he started sending his fourth grade teacher tvs every single year so that she could always (laughs) watch him on tv since he's on tv seven days a week apparently um i love it apparently he he, uh so he he was talking to her she's like you send me keep sending these tvs she's like i end up just giving them away because i don't know what to do with all these tvs (laughs) oh i haven't heard that story before that's great you should go back to whoever your teacher was that said you know and start start sending that to if that teacher's still around or or whatever uh start sending them your books That's a good idea. <laughs> and then, and then send them your clients' books with your name stamped on it. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. <sighs> so, Julie, with all that said, what do your dreams for the future look like? Oh, I've learned not to not to plan, like not to have big, like you know, kind of say this is what I'm going to do because I don't actually dream as big as what I can achieve and what I can do. And just to kind of you know explain that, five years ago I never would have dreamed that I'd be living in California, and I didn't, I wouldn't have dreamed that I could be running this really really cool business, helping all these really amazing people write and publish and sell books. Uh, and you know, if you back up five years before that, I never would have dreamed that I could have had an overall number one Amazon. Amazon bestselling book. Uh, so I, you know, it sounds funny. People are like, what are your five year plans? I'm like, I've stopped planning for five years. I really look at that next big thing that I want to do. And really right now I'm focused on uh, launching our clients books and really creating some great books for our clients. And that's really where I'm focused. And then of course, supporting my husband in whatever, uh, in whatever I can do to help him get him, you know, get, get up and running in his acting career here in Los Angeles, uh, because that's ultimately why we're here. So yeah, I don't have big dreams for the future anymore. Cause I actually don't dream big enough. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, you know, knowing yourself and knowing your tendencies are, are, are one of the best things that you can do. Being self-aware as an entrepreneur, as a business owner is um, really invaluable because you're, you're able to a- adjust for those types of things that you know that you're um, not really that good at. And I guess in your case, it's dreaming, dreaming big for the future. And, and um, but with that said, like. Obviously, I think that you're you sound like a really great example of somebody who, while you don't have um, that really vast dream of like where you want to head, you're not sitting around doing nothing either. No, I mean, my 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 own personal saying is the missing piece is always action. And so I always take action. So when I say I don't have a dream, I'm I'm open to the things that come to me and I know the life I want to live. And so I'm always evaluating everything that comes my way against the life that I want to live. So the things I want to do, you know, and I prioritize my health and my family and then, you know, my business. And so these are the things that are most important to me. And so I'm always looking at, you know, is this going to take away from these things that are most important to me or is it going to add to them? And if it adds to them, then I take, I'm like, okay, yeah, bring it on. Let's do it. And I, you know, that's where I'll take massive action and fast. Like I'm not somebody who sits around thinking, you know, I'm you're kind of like you, you know, I I'm not quite as fast as putting a book out 10 days after having the idea. <laughs> but, you know, as soon as I am like, yep, that's right. That's that's perfect for me. It fits with the life I want to live. I start working on it. And I think that's that's really the big thing. And you can create. And that's why I don't dream big enough, because when you take consistent action, the amazing things that show up in your life are things that you and a lot of times you never would have thought would have been possible. And boom, there it is because you're consistently taking action. 
no, I, absolutely. I, uh, I I think that uh, you, I mean, what you just said is 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 so valuable for people to to hear and to understand that um, you know you don't you don't always know how you're going to get there, right? Like my dream wasn't to 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 do a big podcast and necessarily write books and do all these things, uh, you know, growing up. But, but my dream was to be a child psychologist, which I've gotten to help lots of kids, uh, because of the podcast, you know, because of my platform, because of my books, because of the talks, because of, you know, the networking that I've gotten to do. So it's like, I I didn't get to, I didn't take the, the same path that I think I would have taken from the age of six when I was like, I'm going to be a child psychologist. But, um, but I, but I've gotten to a point where like, I'm more than satisfied with, with what I've able to accomplish, uh, thanks to, you know, taking action and, and really, uh, knowing what kind of life that I want to, I always say like, you know, build your, your business for your lifestyle, not your lifestyle for your business. Cause your business will do that on its own. If you don't be really intentional about it and having to, to stop and turn like, look, I, I, this sounds like a great opportunity, but like it doesn't really align with what um, the kind of life I want. Like, yeah, I could potentially make all this money. I could potentially do all these things. Um, but, but at the end of the day, like I really want time with my family or I want to have the time for my health. And I want to have these things that uh, doing this might be a possibility or it could be a runaway train to my lifestyle um, being built or, or yeah, my, my, my uh my lifestyle being built for my business and that's that's not good that's yeah. not good at all <laughs> it, it, exactly and i mean that was part of what drove me to write my first real estate book was because we were getting into real estate for money and it ended up taking well actually i really got into real estate for freedom like i said i think i think i mentioned that you know i got into my first real estate to create that plan B, you know, that backup plan. And, uh, and it was never intended to be that full-time business. It was always intended to be a retirement plan or a fallback plan if my job wasn't working out. Um, and I ended up getting so full into real estate that it, I would, I had all these real estate problems and I had, I created this entire monster where we were 24 seven real estate and it wasn't the life I wanted to live. Uh, and, and it was because I wasn't intentional and I wasn't clear. And so I think that that's really important because real estate has been phenomenal for us once we got clear on what we wanted and really honed our portfolio and what we did with it. Uh, and same with the businesses. But yeah, they, they can they can take on a life of their own if you're not intentional and not clear. No, a- absolutely. Um, so Julie, how can people connect with you online? The best thing to do is is either booklaunchers.com and we've got a bi-weekly launch letter. So sign up for that. And when you get it, uh, you can hit reply. And that actually goes direct to me because I like to get input and feedback like we've talked about. So I like to hear from people. Uh, so that's one way. The other thing is I'm very active on YouTube. So booklaunchers.tv is my YouTube channel or just booklaunchers. And I hang out in the comments section of YouTube all the time because again I'm I love that interaction I love I love the feedback on the videos and the questions um, so those are the best ways to get in touch and if you need help writing and publishing a book uh, booklaunchers.com and drop me a note I'd love to help you awesome well I will definitely have those in the show notes at uh, the business.tv um, 
And I think it's great that you you hang out in the comments of YouTube, though I've I've been told that you shouldn't hang out in the comments of YouTube because it gets super negative super quickly. <laughs> I have great I have great viewers in YouTube. Um, with the real estate videos, I used to have some real trolls, um, but uh, in the publishing space, I I love my YouTube community. So I I do hang out there, and if somebody's really negative and rude, I just delete it. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, rude person. <laughs> He deleted delete the smugness from the back of the room. <laughs> Instead that's right. of using I mean, it as a paintbrush. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's that's the cool part about the platform is you have control. So, <laughs> but truly, there very are very there's very rarely somebody that I need to delete. So it's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I love that. I love that. Um, Julie, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show, and then I'd love to have you on the show again in the future, maybe in a year or so, to catch up and see not only how you're doing, but how your husband's doing with his acting career. I would love that. It would be great. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, is there any last thoughts you'd like to share? I think I'll just go back to my quote. The missing piece is always action. So whatever it is that you're kind of dreaming of, and it's okay to have dreams. This is this, you know, me saying I don't dream doesn't mean you shouldn't. Uh, but whatever it is, that thing that you think you've been like, oh, I should do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And you haven't done it. Just start taking a step because you're never going to have that perfect plan. It's never going to be the perfect time. So just take steps and move towards it. Because like I said, little actions taken consistently, amazing things happen so okay so to go with that real quick um if you're thinking about writing your first book what's the number one tip because i know i have my like two tips but yep. what's your number one tip for someone who's getting ready to write their first book figure out why you're writing that book um what is your goal for that book um and that's number one and number two is who are you writing it for um because everything's going to flow out of those two questions that is vastly different than mine <laughs> mine. Uh, mine is from more of the process of out, outline first and then format the book as you go so you're not writing eight and a half by 11 pages when when you should write in six by nine or whatever you're going to write the book in the difference is i'm coming at this from a how am i going to sell this book and make it build my business or grow the brand at the end of the day and you have to figure out those goals first before you determine the hook of your book and lay it out uh, so if you haven't done that and you jump right to the outline, you're missing a gigantic step and you may already do that. And you just didn't know that that's what you've been doing. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I totally, I totally absolutely agree. I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, my second book was called how to dream big and win. And it was only written, um, after I had already started to give the talk how to dream big and win. So I thought I need a book to go with the, with the talk. <laughs> so, so it was, you know, so yeah, I missed a couple steps in that one, but uh, from there on, I have since learned my lesson um, <laughs> about that because it's, it's funny because I came out with the, the Thirty One Life Changing Concepts book, and I'm giving a talk about how to dream big and win, and while it goes hand in hand, it's not the it's it's not like a direct connection, right? The light bulb doesn't get lit uh, in people's in people's heads necessarily uh, when you're giving a talk and you're like, hey, I got this book that has 
some to do with what what I just talked about. Um, has <laughs> Pete, you know, it, it'll help you in that case, but it's not going to uh, be that missing link that you're that you're trying to uh, to to Pete bridge together. Um, so no, I, I think that is great advice. And that's always, you know, it's funny when I talk to people about that, I always, those are the questions I always ask. Um, but it's, it's like when they ask like, well, what other advice do you have that those are the two things I always go to is like outline, 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 and you'll write the book overnight. And, um, you know, the, the make sure when you're writing it, you actually format it to the, to the page width so that you know how many pages you're going, you're, you're going to be when you're there. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, and then, then the other question I the other question I have is once you have the book, um, I guess you at that point from your advice you would already know how you're going to go about promoting it. But what's your number exactly. one advice for promoting it? Oh, <laughs> number one advice for promoting it is to find people who have the same audience as you, but they don't directly compete with you, and partner, joint venture, do whatever you can to get in front of their audience with your book and your message, and that'll grow your business too. Because again, this is really we're driven by helping you write a book that's you know gonna gonna sell and going to help people, but also that's going to build your business and build your brand. So this is the perfect advice for building your business too. Um, but yeah, that's really that's the number one thing, and that's why my book went to number one is because I had realtors and mortgage brokers who loved the advice that was in my book. And it was a great third party recommendation of saying, hey, get into real estate, but hire professionals and you know make smart decisions. And so they were like, yeah, here, read this book. And they promoted the heck out of my book. And it jumped to number one overall because I had some great people with real estate investor clients who wanted to share the message that I'd put in my book. So yeah, that's that's the number the number one marketing uh, tip, if you will. Awesome. Awesome. I, and I guess have a great thumbnail. <laughs> well, there's so many tips. Like it, we could do hours on the things to do and not to do to sell your book. But uh, really, like if you nail some of these pieces, a lot of it flows from there. Mm, I, I would I would agree. As I've seen with this this particular book upcoming for myself, I I would agree and have <laughs> could say the same. So, uh, so if you've enjoyed this episode and gotten a lot out of Julie, um, definitely go check out her website at the end of this, this episode, but just all I can ask is that you share this episode with a friend, with a colleague, with somebody who you feel will get something out of this. If they have, especially if they have the thoughts of having, uh, not just starting their own business and moving from Canada to America, uh, <laughs> but to, um, <laughs> to, to start writing books and do what their, uh, teacher back in grade school said you can't do. Um, as, as, as they, as now Samsung is, uh, trumpeting up the whole, do what you can't, uh, from, from Casey Neistat, uh, or a la Casey Neistat, um, do, do what you can't and, uh, share this episode with somebody who will get something out of this. Uh, Julie, thank you so much again for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks Joe. It was my pleasure. I hope everyone has a amazing week ahead. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Business Podcast featuring Super Joe Pardo. Get more business content at superjoepardo.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on The Business Podcast, send an email to joe at superjoepardo.com. The Business Podcast is copyrighted to 234 Solutions, LLC.